Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello again, everyone, and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast, the Something's Brewing Edition. My name is Keith Geryan, and I'm speaking to you from our newsroom studio on a bright and sunny Friday, July 15th, the morning after the big Bastille Day festivities in France. It's a very tragic Bastille Day, as it turned out, and tragic on many levels, not just for those who lost their lives in the attack in Nice, but also because France, in many ways, was the birthplace of the freedom and democracy we now enjoy, the same freedom and democracy that is now being severely tested by terrorism. So today, in this episode, we are going to celebrate the French a little, uh, because had the French people not seen fit to overthrow their tyrannical king back in 1789, perhaps today we would not be here in this studio ready to discuss the latest affaire politique of Alberta's conservative hordes. And plenty of intrigue surrounds those conservatives these days, thanks mainly to one Jason Kenney, who received a very big endorsement last weekend in his bid to become the next provincial Tory leader. We will also look at why the Alberta oil sands and the Lord of the Rings are being mentioned in the same breath, and we will wind up with a discussion of everyone's favorite topic, at least among these panelists. Beer, everyone. Yes, it's beer. <laughs> Hooray! Uh, joining me with their takes on all of this are three guests. Très magnifique. We have uh, political affairs columnist Graham Thompson. Hello. We have city columnist Paula Simons. Bonjour, mon ami. Comment ça va, ça va? Ah, très bien. And legislature reporter Emma Grady. G'day. I'm sorry I don't speak any French. No, that's okay. My, uh, <laughs> speak my great Australian English, but that's kind there, of... There it is. My grade 8 French teacher, Mr. Vachon, would be uh, horrified at my accent these days. But uh, sorry, Mr. Vachon, wherever you are. Well, thanks all of you to, uh, for being here. Uh, when I was doing some research for this episode, I learned something quite interesting, that the terms left-wing and right-wing uh, derive right from the French Revolution, referring to the two opposing sides where people sat in the National Assembly. And it's just a little bit of historical trivia. I bring it up for no reason other than it is a little segue to our discussion of Jason Kenney and his little revolution to try and unite the right wing in Alberta. And that movement got a pretty big boost from a a political heavy hitter. Uh, Emma, give us a recap of what happened in Calgary last weekend. Sure. Um, so there was a big old barbecue. I don't know if you've heard, guys have heard of this thing called Stampede. It's a little thing that happens in Calgary. I it sounds familiar. Yearly, yeah. Um, they're big on hats. So, so anyway, there was this barbecue in Stampede. And uh, Stephen Harper got up and said, by the way, guys, I am endorsing Jason Kenney as this whole thing that he's doing. You go get him, Jason. Um, his exact words about Jason Kenney were, he has demonstrated time and again that he's a principled, thoughtful, and highly capable conservative. Um, so he got up and uh, threw his weight behind uh, Jason Kenney, as did Ron Ambrose, actually. The awkward part was that um, Brian Jean was in the audience. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get to that in a second, because that, <laughs> that was a bit of a <laughs> shot. Yes. Uh, okay, so Paula and Graham, I want you to wait in here. Uh, if you are Jason Kenney, how helpful is this endorsement? I, I, it's expected, but is there maybe a downside to this? Well, I, I mean, I don't know if it's exactly expected. I mean, I think it's Jason Kenney 
was a Stephen Harper loyalist, uh, even though I think there was a lot of speculation that Jason Kenney would like to have replaced Stephen Harper at some future date. So the fact that Harper endorsed him isn't precisely shocking. I don't know how helpful it actually is with the progressive conservative base of the provincial party, because Stephen Harper was no friend to the progressive conservatives over most of his tenure as prime minister, whether he was butting heads with Ed Stelmack or Alison Redford. Uh, I don't think there was a lot of love lost between Jim Prentice and Stephen Harper either. For the most part, Harper's people and apparatus were working more closely with the Wild Rose than they were with the progressive conservatives. So I'm not sure that the Stephen Harper good housekeeping seal of approval is going to mean that much to people within the progressive conservative hierarchy who are not happy with Jason Kenney as an interloper. I agree with Paula completely. This is not going to be received that well, the Harper endorsement by the progressive conservatives. And Paula's right. Over the years, the federal conservatives were getting involved in provincial politics by backing the Wild Rose. That, that explains why, for example, Stelmack, a decade ago almost, um, stopped having stampede joint caucuses with the federal conservatives and the provincial conservatives because Harper's people were actually um, behind the scenes endorsing and supporting the Wild Rose. But Kenny's strategy is to aim at the federal conservatives and get them involved in provincial politics. So he's really hoping that federal conservatives and also Wild Rosers basically will join the PCs and try and swamp the party to take it over. And listening to Harper, they've got some incentive now, perhaps, to get behind Kenny and help him, in a sense, take over the PC party. Right. Okay. Well, as Emma mentioned, uh, the other person in the room that night was one Brian Jean. And I, I'm hesitating to use the phrase poor Brian Jean again. Yeah, I know you can say it. Yeah, poor Brian Jean. Graham actually came up, I think, with the phrase of the week when he dubbed Brian Jean the human knife block. This I got to jump in here. I wish I had thought of that. <laughs> it was the editors. Oh, it was. Okay. Our genius editors thought that one up. I didn't. Okay. Uh, now, my understanding, when Jean was in the room, uh, his initial reaction to this, uh, you might think he was a little irritated, a little annoyed. Uh, that's not what he said, though. What, what did he say initially after Harper spoke? So Brian Jean, I believe, took a small leave from the room and... Uh, kind of I suppose what he did I don't know this for sure I'm just assuming uh gathered himself thought god damn it Steve (laughs) what was that (laughs) I again don't have any factual uh basis knowledge about this but uh then he came out and said you know what no that's that's cool that's cool he can kind of do what he want and I know that Graham has spoken to him since then I know that uh, James Wood was speaking with him as well and he said no that's it's fine yeah it's fine I'm I'm fine it's fine it's fine it's, <laughs> it's fine. all fine. It's great, it's fine. in fact. It's great. I think, I think he I said it was great. Life. Yeah, he used the word great at least a couple of times. Yeah. So yes. that, that was Brian Jean's reaction. Yes, but then Graham, you're right. You did have an interview with with Brian Jean. I think it was the day after or a few days after. Uh, and there's a couple of really interesting things that came out of that interview. Yeah, I asked him if he had been told by Harper that Harper was about to uh, endorse Kenny, and I said, "Did you know about this?" And then it was a four and a half second pause. That's a long time. It's on the phone, we're talking, and I let him just the, let the pause run. And he said, no, I had no idea. At that point, he really did sound deflated. Then he came, bounced back, and he wasn't actually, he wasn't getting into recriminations or, or self-pity. He just said, no, this is the way things unfold in politics, and we'll move forward. But you could tell it was irritating him, because he talked about, you know, I'm a wild roser, we don't play 
silly political games. And I said to him, is Jason Kenney playing silly political games in his bid to take over both the Wild Rose and the PCs? And he said, I won't comment on that. Mm. And of course, this, this is a comment <laughs> in itself. It's interesting. I was not there. I do not attend Stephen Harper functions. You don't get in invited to those no. things? No. Oh. But uh, our colleague Tristan Hopper from the National Post was there. And Tristan wrote a very funny piece describing the mood in the room. But it was interesting because Tristan's observation was that Brian Jean's loyalists were being very loyal to him. And he described it almost like a kind of a Western shootout where people are at the different ends of the street. And it was really interesting because Tristan's other observation was that in a stampede environment, Brian Jean looked wholly natural in a cowboy hat and jeans with his thumbs in his belt. And that, you know, <laughs> by contrast, Jason Kenney and Stephen Harper looked like they were playing dress up and looked faintly ridiculous. It was, I think, Tristan's impression walking away from that, that Jean still has a lot of grassroots support from Wild Rose people who are not happy at what they're seeing as people from Ottawa coming and telling them how to run Alberta politics. I think this is going to continue to be very interesting for Yeah, okay. It was an interesting piece that Tristan wrote. I, I was hoping I could get uh, one of you to, to comment a little bit on the tightrope that Gene now has to walk, right? We, we've seen a little bit of that already, where he's got to be pretty ticked off with his conservative peeps, but then he can't really show that he's ticked off, right? How does he handle this? Well, I know this week I was talking to him, and I was sort of steered in the direction of talking to his caucus, which I was going to do anyway. And the caucus members are, are there saying yay for Brian Jean. So nobody actually, though, wants to come out and criticize Jason Kenney because he's a conservative. They don't want to alienate uh, people who might be um, looking at this, you know, at the right idea uh, that Kenney's putting forward. So they don't want to have an internal fight among conservatives. Like, well, not that <laughs> there isn't one already. Uh, but at least what they're trying to do is promote Brian Jean is the guy that can actually do this under the Wild Rose banner. And you've got Brian Jean today is starting his uh, On Your Side uh, town hall tour of the province, going to the various communities to talk to people, to get the people to know who he is. The party's putting him out more. The last year or so, um, it wasn't a Brian Jean party. They were very careful to put out other people to talk about different issues in the caucus. Now they're more focused on Brian Jean. They're saying there's polls showing that he's doing really well personally, and the Wild Rose is doing really well provincially as a party. So they're trying to promote a more positive aspect, saying Brian Jean is the one that can actually get conservatives together, not under a, you know, dissolve both parties, move into a new party like Jason Kenney's talking about. And so they are fighting back, I think, on a more positive note, uh, as opposed to actually taking Kenney on head on. But you know, one of the things that sort of arises from this is a sense of how deep are Kenny's roots and contacts in this province. If you think about it, Jason Kenny was born in Oakville, raised in Saskatchewan, educated in California, moved to Alberta seven years before he ran for parliament. So really, arguably, he's only lived in Alberta for seven years. How much does he have his finger on the zeitgeist of the province? Whereas both Brian Jean and Rachel Notley can make a pretty compelling case that they are authentic Albertans, both raised in the north, both have an understanding of the province, maybe in the marrow of their bones, that Jason Kenney might think that he does. But, you know, as an MP, how much time do you actually spend back in your home riding versus immersed in Ottawa's culture? And certainly Kenney in particular, has spent a lot of his career crisscrossing the country trying to build the 
the Stephen Harper brand, you know, in ethnocultural communities. Kenny's a heck of a campaigner, and he's very smart in terms of political strategy. Is he going to read as authentic to Albertans? Is it, you know, it doesn't matter if you put him in jeans and a cowboy hat. Does he look like a real Albertan to people who can sniff one out? Yeah, well, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out. Uh, what about on the PC side of things? Uh, was there any reaction to uh, what Stephen Harper and Ronna Ambrose did? Yeah, I've talked to a number of people in the PCs. It's interesting. Right now, they're having, they will have meetings. They haven't actually had the meetings yet to figure out the rules for the leadership race. And if you go back to the 2014 rules, uh, there's items there, clauses there for candidates saying you must basically have a, you have a fiduciary responsibility to protect the PC brand, you can't harm the brand. And the thing is, it's interesting, you got people against Kenny on the Wild Rose side who point this out saying there's no way the PCs can let him run. So the Wild Rose is actually hoping the PCs will trip him up at the starting line by saying, you can't run, your ideas are gone, this will not work, therefore uh, the PCs are fine, and so is the Wild Rose and Brian Jean. Now, there are people in the PCs, like um, Thomas Lukasik, have argued we cannot let uh, Kenny run because he, he is out to destroy the party, and that, that's against our Constitution. Uh, but there's people in the party that talk to very senior people who want Kenny to run. They're saying it would be very easy to exclude him, reject him, but they want him to run to make sure he's actually in the race. So there'll actually be an entire open race, probably half a dozen candidates are hoping for, and basically hoping to crush Kenny in that race. <laughs> yeah, I guess blocking him might actually be uh, counterproductive in some ways. It would be. I think that he could then claim to be a martyr, and then who knows what he would do after that if they try to keep him out. Also, it might damage the PCs. Um, conservatives might say, well, you know, you guys really aren't open and inclusive. I think they're afraid of what the long-term implications would be from keeping him out. I th but uh, it'd be easy to keep him out. If, if your stated goal is to destroy the party you want to take over or become leader of, that's not, a, uh, you know, that's not actually going to endear you to people in that party. That, that, that's the George Clark strategy. Right, of course, yeah. yeah. But it's interesting. Jen Gerson in the National Post had a great line. She said that Jason Kenney has indeed united the right against him. Against him, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. It's interesting, though, quickly, how many people behind the scenes, both Wild Rose and PCs, do not want this to go ahead. And I think, which is why it gives me more thinking about how Kenny is really is trying to get the federal conservatives, both MPs and people at that level, to try and help him out. Okay. Well, let's switch topics, um, because I promised listeners a Lord of the Rings reference. Uh, Emma, uh, maybe you can enlighten us at what this is all about. Mordor. Oh, Mordor. Um, yeah, so <laughs> the government uh, just um, announced their oil sands advisory group. It's an 18-person panel. Uh, three of those are co-chairs. Uh, so one of the co-chairs is now, I'm sorry if I get the pronoun pronunciation wrong, Zipporah Berman. And she's, she's quite the well-known uh, environmental activist, uh, but she recently compared the oil sands to Mordor, which you may or may not know, I hope you do, but uh, it's, you know, the land of darkness and evil and death from uh, Lord of the Rings. So there was quite a bit of we're up in arms about this, particularly from Wild Rose. And then yesterday they sent out another press release saying, by the way, she's also um, an initiating signatory on the Leap Manifesto. Oh, really? So how is it that this um, particular environmentalist who's vocally opposed to the oil sands and, you know, some would say the oil industry as a whole 
is somehow a co-chair advising what we should do about the oil sands. Right. Okay. So what is what is Notley trying to do here, right? This doesn't necessarily seem on its face like a good idea. Yeah. Good question, say, my precious. <laughs> I, I think this is Notley my trying precious. to uh, make a... That's nice. <laughs> are, are we done? <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I think this is Notley trying to build a bigger tent to get people who normally are against oil sands inside the tent. Now, there's two ways of looking at this. One is that, yes, this is a, a, a hidden agenda by the, the NDP to kill the oil sands. Or another way is to think that they're trying to get people who normally are against oil sands into the tent and say, okay, fine, how do we make this better moving forward? And it goes back to what they did last November when they had their um, climate change uh, plan was being rolled out. And they actually had not only oil companies oil sands companies up there they also had environmental groups really for the first time on a stage um, working together on a climate change plan now i think the government's hoping to have environmentalists and industry work together on how do we uh, move the oil sands forward so we're not always constantly battling each other uh, into a standstill but actually how do we actually work together to get things done well can they actually work together though with, well, with somebody like this on, on the a, panel it's a very complicated panel i mean a panel with three co-chairs one of whom is a very senior oil company executive, one of whom is a representative of the Miccosukee Cree. The whole panel is like that, though. It's a whole mix of pretty hardcore environmentalists and pretty hardcore oil sands advocates. And it's a bit, you know, while we're doing Tolkien, it's a bit like Gollum and Smeagol. It's got, you know, two sides. And as we know, Gollum and Smeagol doesn't end well. It ends with, you know, a, a fall into the abyss and the fiery furnace. But I'm not sure that a panel with three co-chairs and a whole bunch of members who have antithetical principles when it comes to, to energy and climate change are going to be able to jog along. But maybe Graham's right. Maybe this is the miracle panel that somehow gives green credibility to Alberta's oil sands by putting that many vocal opponents of heavy oil and uh, the resource industry within the ambit of the government. Maybe you do get people coming together and coming up with some kind of compromise that can be sold to the wider world. I just think those meetings are going to be awkward. Yeah. In interesting. <laughs> interesting. Yeah. But yeah. I guess you could say it's like the definition of uh, Einstein's definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again, yeah. expecting different results. The same way of doing things hasn't really worked in terms of you know helping out the oil sands in terms of environmental protests for, for decades now, or at least a decade. So I think why not try something different and see what actually happens? You know, part of the problem is that Sephora Berman uh, issued a statement saying that what she said about mortar doesn't reflect her current views. The problem is that she didn't say that five years ago. She said it really very recently. Yeah. So, you know, uh, sometimes it's better not to say that your views have changed from what they were a week ago because it makes you sound faintly ridiculous. Well, let's move on to the moment we've all been waiting for. It's beer time. Okay, like is, all right, I'm not an authentic Albertan. This is where I have to out myself. I hate beer. I think it is completely disgusting. I have no idea why anybody drinks it, but I have an opinion about tax policies. Uh, okay. Uh, you guys can open the fake beer. But Paula, it's not real beer. It's non-alcoholic beer. It's beer-like. Paula, how do you still live here? <laughs> like, 
exactly. Yep. No. Paula, I agree. <laughs> it's beer. It's beer like. Okay. Right, should I open mine? You should open yours. Yeah. Here we go, Graham. Are you gonna open yours? Okay. Here, here we go. We gotta discuss this properly okay. with a beer. Yeah. Okay. I'll so see now. You can't even. Oh, good lord, Paula. <laughs> it's pretty good. It, that tastes just like uh, Grolsch. I know. Pretty good, huh? Don't mention the name. Sorry, that tastes just like this particular brand of beer. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Dealcoholized beer. It tastes gross. <laughs> oh, I see what you did there, Graham. Oh. Um, so, yeah, beer taxes. I tell you beer what, taxes, no, as, yeah. as an Australian, I do feel it is, some, it is somewhat my responsibility here, um, my cultural responsibility to really kind of keep track of this story. Because if anyone's messing with my beer prices, yeah, look, I just feel, I, I feel, I take it personally, you know, I feel it in my heart and soul a little bit. <laughs> so basically, what government did, uh, they announced that they were going to be implementing this uh, 1.2 f- well, dollar 25. S- <laughs> the beer's already getting to me, I can't even talk. <laughs> 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 the non alcoholic beer. <laughs> So government has um, introduced a uh, per litre tax on beer. Now, it used to be a sliding scale. I haven't done it yet. This is going to all change. The idea behind it is that it's going to help uh, small to medium-sized breweries in Alberta. And the argument was from them that they were kind of getting a, you know, the short end of the stick, as it were. And it was very tough because Alberta has apparently the most open beer market in Canada. And so there was a lot of competition, particularly with breweries, bigger breweries and out-of-province breweries as well. The problem is the government announced this new per litre thing and they also said, by the way, there's going to be a, a grant for breweries. So it's going to be fine, you guys. It's all going to you know, come out in the wash. Problem is they didn't actually say anything about this grant. So no one knows really anything about this grant, whether it will offset this new particular tax or whether it won't. And they even the breweries don't know this at that point. I don't know why you would... Announce one without the other, but hey, I'm not in government policy. Yeah, have you, Paul and Graham, do you have any thoughts on this? Like how they've rolled this out with announcing, you know, a markup and then saying we're going to give you a grant, but we don't know what. And and consumers, I, I think we just don't know how much more we're going to pay. Well, you know, the problem is that, and this is something the NDP largely made an issue for themselves. Initially, they had set a differential tax rate on locally produced small market you know small brewery beer and the big beers the problem was that they also included saskatchewan and british columbia because of a trade agreement amongst those three provinces so that bc alberta and saskatchewan small breweries could sell their beer more cheaply than small breweries from quebec and ontario and the maritimes so Unsurprisingly, people from outside those three Western provinces complained, and it was actually uh, an Ontario company, Steam Whistle, that uh, sought and received an injunction uh, against the Alberta government's previous tax regime. So this is an effort to uh, get around that Steam Whistle problem by saying, okay, uh, our previous tax system clearly was creating legal problems for us so now we're going to level the playing field but then we're going to introduce some kind of aid for Alberta brewers only so now the people from Saskatchewan and British Columbia are really upset because before they had preferential treatment and now they don't and what this really all just demonstrates is that our interprovincial trade barriers around alcohol are completely insane yes yeah yeah no I agree talk about you know free trade in here in the U.S. We have a lot of trade barriers in Canada, and Paula's dead on. To me, the bigger issue here is, in, is the trade between provinces. 
next week the the premiers meet in Whitehorse. Um, I'm kind of curious as to whether they're going to. St- they usually talk about trade barriers and try and bring them down. We'll see. In fact, it may be more impetus this time around. But I think Paul has explained it really well. Uh, this, this bigger issue. Because I'm the only one not drinking beer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it is interesting to see how Alberta is trying to get around these rules and actually making potentially making the barriers worse between provinces. Um, and it's also, you know, for example, it's also what why you can't uh, in Ontario. If you live there, you can buy cases of wine from um, you know wineries and other. But you can't Alberta. You cannot order wine from the uh, Ontario wineries here. You know by. The, the caseload. The rules are insane. Yeah, yeah. and Al- yeah, Alberta beers do not get great access to the Ontario market. Yeah. That's right. And, you know, in Ontario, it's very difficult to get British Columbia wine because they're protecting Ontario right. vineyards. So, I mean, it's all completely ridiculous. It adds extra costs for consumers and it really reduces consumer choice because sometimes you want to try something that's cool and nifty from another province and you can't. But it is it is wacky that we sign trade agreements with other countries and we tisk 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 when Britain pulls out of Brexit and in the meantime we have these baroque trade rules within our country that really hamper the exchange of goods in a country that's re- really not got a huge population. I mean, why do we do this to ourselves? I think that you have to have a certain faith in markets and consumers, that not everybody is going to drink just the big, cheap beers from the great big breweries, and not everybody is going to want wine out of a box. Wow, Paula, the unapologetic capitalist. I didn't think I'd unapologetic see that. Unapologetic capitalist <laughs> advocating, is, uh, yeah, the, 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 uh, the, yeah, never the mind. Just free trade <laughs> in wine. Free, um, tra- free trade in booze, says Paula, who doesn't drink. Because you know, the thing is, the, the rules are such that, you know, you, when you come to Canada from overseas, you can only bring X amount of alcohol the same thing actually from province to province like technically if you were to go to Ontario and bring a case of wine from Ontario to Alberta you'd be you'd actually be breaking the law yeah this beer is actually growing on me I know it's pretty good I, I, <laughs> and that was a bad. surprisingly intelligent discussion for the amount of beer well, that it, it says here <laughs> so. less than 0. Less 0. 0.05 oh. alcohol so. right. well we'll have to up the dosage next time so uh, well, we have just a little bit of time left for our good stuff from the gallery, our segment where we nominate something we think uh, politics fans should uh, be reading or watching or uh, or listening to. Uh, Graham, what, let's start with you this week. Okay, quickly, I mentioned what happened last week. I talked about my library card. Yes. The <laughs> and what you actually start using. Like, get a library card, go to the library, and patronize the library. Um, People instead, of your view, instead of your people viewers. People are actually yes. thanking me for mentioning the library. So all, all you Philistines in here, so <laughs> and just swallow that. You're right. Um, this week, <laughs> I've noticed in the, the, the grounds of the legislature in the last week or so, a lot of young people. Oh, yes. Oh, walking around with so their iPhones. And I couldn't figure out what it was until somebody, I was, it yeah, was you. It was me. Uh, Justin Giovanetti and I have been every now and again walking past the windows going like, there's more of them, there's more of them. Graham, Graham, come look. It's, these are people playing <laughs> Pokemon Go. Yes. <laughs> and it's a game, and I guess the, the grounds legislature is a Pokemon gym. It's, it's been amazing, actually. And watch. people are out there, and the game is that um, they're using the, the camera on the iPhone <laughs> and the GPS system. They can see things around them, obviously, through, through the iPhone. But there's actually like little monsters. The Pokemon monsters are up there, and they try and capture them and right. train them. Right. I love your explanation, of Pokemon Go. It's amazing. So, I didn't know what it was, and is act. And I'm sure, I'm sure a lot of parents maybe want to learn about this. And I thought, okay, this is the latest craze. So anyway, 
if you go, there's actually I sent you a link already, Keith. It's a very nice article, good article in CBC explaining what exactly Pokemon Go is <laughs> and why it's so friggin' popular. All right. All right. The thing is, though, it's getting the kids out. It is. It's getting them They're outside. walking around. Yeah. They're not it's actually, they're not talking to each other. It's not very no, no, social. Actually, they are. I've seen people walking around and they're talking like, hey, man, did you see? Did you see? I just yeah. got a, you know. Whatever. That's a, a great conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, so no one's actually interacting really, but they are getting outside and they're actually walking around. Yeah, which, it is something. opposed to sitting in the parents' high, basement. Yeah, half victory. So I get one okay. thumb up. All right. All right. Thank you. That's great. <laughs> Uh, Emma, what have you got for us this week? Okay, I've got an article uh, that was on uh, BBC World in their magazine. It's called Rescuing America's Roadside Giants. If you're anything like me, I love doing road trips through the States and my husband and I will actually plan our route according to this great website called um, Roadside America. And it has all of the weird, wonderful and weird attractions that you'll find, such as uh, Carhenge in Nebraska, in which a guy just went and got a whole bunch of cars they are to scale like uh, Stonehenge and he painted them grey. It's just in the middle of Nebraska. It's amazing. A hanging tree, for example, in Montana, which is extremely weird and odd, but kind of interesting to see, I suppose, but the history behind it. Yeah, so it's a really interesting article about how a lot of these giant um, things that were by the roadside in America are kind of falling apart and how people are kind of banding together to try and rescue them. Okay. It's a good read. All right. Uh, my good stuff this week is uh, an article by our very own Stuart Thompson, a great explainer on uh, the Unite the Right uh, movement and what's going on between the Wild Rose and Jason Kenney. Uh, that is uh, currently on the Edmonton Sun website and will be published in the journal, I believe, on Saturday. Uh, Paula, what about you? All right. I'm going to wind up uh, with a profile of Theresa May, the new Prime Minister of Great Britain. Uh, at least it's Great Britain for now. Uh, but it's written by Gabby Hinscliffe of The Guardian. It's got the headline, Unpredictable, Moralistic, and Headed to Number 10. And I didn't know a lot about Theresa May's backstory. So it's a really interesting chance to learn about her life as a Parsons daughter and how different she is from a lot of the David Cameron elite circle who have been running Britain. Uh, a really good backgrounder on who the new Prime Minister of Great Britain is. All right. Well, that wraps up our 141st episode of the podcast. Uh, If you'd like to check out any of our previous 140 episodes, you can find an archive on our website at edmontonjournal.com slash opinion. You can also listen to us on SoundCloud, on iTunes, and via TuneIn Radio. It's always a good idea to subscribe so you can get the new episodes the moment they are uploaded. Uh, Thanks to Graham, Paula, and Emma, and to journal videographer Sean Butts for filming us today and uploading a clip on the journal website so you can see all of us in our uh, drunken stupor. So to all of our listeners, à la prochaine, merci, bonne chance. Until next time, in the press gallery.